You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. So, welcome to another episode, Once Upon a Turnbuckle. I apologise to everyone for not dropping a, uh, a new episode last week, but I feel I've probably more than made up for it this week with the special guest that I'm about to bring on. Now, whether you know this guy as one of the faces of Blue Peter, or whether you know him more recently for his role with NXT UK, I guarantee, especially if you're in the UK, you will know this guy. Radzi, welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Thank you, Chris. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, sort of uh, making the most of the rest of the weekend as we cling on to it. But, uh, yeah, it's all merging into one now. <laughs> well, very true. Very true. Yeah, how, how, is, um, how has sort of the lockdown been for yourself? You know, sort of how has it affected what you do? So it's been an interesting one where um, so certain jobs have gone certain jobs have emerged. And so I'm a freelance presenter and I do a fair bit in sport and that's obviously been affected. Mm. Um, and so I would have been going to the Olympics last year. That didn't happen. I sh if it happens this year, fingers crossed, I'll be going to that. Um, I should have done the Invictus Games, uh, which is for uh, soldiers on their road to recovery uh, who've overcome an awful lot. That should have happened last year, should have happened this year, being postponed again until next year. Um, but then things like I, I worked on the US Open. We did that from London for Amazon Prime, uh, World Snooker Championship, BBC, a little bit for ITV4 with them as well. Um, whether it's Songs of Praise, we've been doing stuff for them, a lot of stuff online. And so without boring you with my CV, <laughs> just, it's been very varied, very remote and very bubble-based. Bubble-based. I like the fact that I mean, over the last year, definitely more opportunities have emerged for... I would say for everyone, you know, even I've noticed it in my day job, it's gone very, um, they've been able to adapt to remote working. I think the world is, is gearing, has geared itself up very well for it. It's just a shame in a way that hopefully we're getting towards the end of it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what sort of what goes on afterwards. But um, yeah, you've given us a flavor already of what your, yeah, like you say, your CV. And um, I didn't really know where to start with this, to be fair. There's just so much that I can unpack. Obviously, the most famous thing that you've done, I would say, is Blue Peter. We will touch on that as well. But I, um, I think, you know, looking at some of the stuff that you've appeared on, I would say you're, I would like to describe you as like a, a modern day British institution in a way. Ah, <laughs> 
Because, I mean, when, um, say, for instance, when my wife and I are watching a film and there's a British actor in there that we recognise, we might check him out on IMDb. And we, we say that they've, they've almost done the rounds when they've been in certain shows like Casualty or The Bill or Doctors or whatever. But sort of just to, if I could just take a moment. So obviously, you know, Blue Peter, probably most famously. Um, you're also the host of the ICB game show Cannonball, which I've recently learned is my my brother-in-law's most most favorite show apparently <laughs> well so that's cool but also sort of going down of what you've you know, shows you've appeared on as a contestant as well you were on gladiators i was mate yeah many moons ago many that, moons ago. that's very cool that was during the was it when it was sort of re, relaunched rebooted for sky I'm yeah sorry. but let's be frank no one remembers gladiators for the sky one it's <laughs> it's all about the itv john fashion Eureka johnson Shadow, Warrior, Saracen, Cobra, um, Hunter, you know, Legend, Jet, Lightning, Nightshade, etc. These just proper, for me, proper Saturday night television where it wasn't all about singing and dancing, it was about action, flipping loves it. So even though it was not the golden era, to mm. even just be on a show that's called The Gladiators is brilliant. So cool, mate. So, so cool. So how how did that? I mean, you know, it's 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 probably like a flimsy question, but what was that like? You know, what was the experience like being on that? It was very, um, I guess, multi layered. So on the one hand, you're getting to do these events, but on the other hand, you're doing them with such time between them, you almost it doesn't feel real. No. You've got a studio audience there. Um, I was allowed to bring 40 um, of my friends. And because I was at uni at the time, saying to 40 people, do you fancy coming down to the studios in Shepparton for the crack? It's absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, my friend, <laughs> Melly, I won't give you his proper name because he's a te- he's a deputy headmaster now, um, got that excited. He accidentally ripped the chair from the floor. It was bleacher seating <laughs> chair. He ripped it from the stand in which it came. Wow. Um, but it was this real mixture of having a physical challenge, having a sort of emotional challenge. You're trying to sort of control your adrenaline. You've then got, um, there's an, there's an element of, you know, you you feel like you're inside when I say bubble is a loaded term now, but the original version of a bubble, you feel as though you're in this kind of, you've been, what, what on earth am I doing here? Mm. I support Arsenal. Ian Wright was the presenter. He used to be my password at school. Wow. You know, Ian Wright is here. <laughs> and then there's, it's just so multi-layered. And whether it's you're at the canteen having food where the gladiators aren't allowed to speak to you, wow. or it's that you're competing against somebody that you really get on with and you want nothing more than to go through yourself, but you also kind of want them to go through. So there's, there's a lot going on, mm. but the bottom line is, is it was just the biggest privilege and I got free food. And when you're at uni, you take that. That's absolutely, yeah. How many other students have applied to go on Gladiators just for a free meal? So, mate, yeah. this is it, mate. They say <laughs> no such thing as a free lunch. There is if you apply to Gladiators. Absolutely. Is there a sense of sort of linking this to wrestling, I suppose, in a way? Is there a sense of kayfabe when you were in there? You know, were the Gladiators whenever you saw them, did you see them away from the recording? Did you see them as normal people or were they always just in character? Well, um, I think Sam Altis has become uh, a wrestler or he wasn't even a wrestler when actually that was on. Um, but it's, yeah, you, you, kind of, you kind of touched on something there because, so I knew a few of them via various means. So 
two of the female gladiators um, both went to my university before I did. So we, we have a couple of mutual friends. There's a guy as well, male gladiator, same story there. Um, and so you have that, but then you have the fact that their main thing is they don't want to get injured. That's their big thing. They also don't want to be put on an event that, there isn't, that they're not particularly good at. Mm-hmm. So you have, if you like, a political side of things. You then have the fact that there's one guy in particular, a contender, who was quite arrogant. Right. And they really wanted him to go out, A. They wanted to, let's say, make an example of him. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the fact of it's TV and the producers are the ones that are in charge. So they're the ones who will be saying this person needs to go through basically much like the reality TV shows. Now it's not the best singer that goes through. It's the one that the producers want to go through and Mm -hmm. the judges are given their scores. It's not an actual score. It's just whatever the producers tell them to to give. And that's what they give. So um, it's, that's just the nature of TV. It's an entertainment show first rather than an actual talent competition. Um, but it's within that, so within the fact you've got all that surrounding it, bottom line, when you're stood there, it's mano a mano. Mm. It's, but the other, I guess the way it skews in the favor of the contender, the contender isn't expected to win. No. So you're expected to give a good account of yourself. So, and, and then there was, for me, there was managing disappointment because so I did a, a, an event called Hit and Run. You run from one pillar to another across a bridge and the gladiators swing these, these giant balls essentially at you. Mm. And if you get tagged by one, you're off. Because I think they were about 150 kilos. I'm, oh. At the time, I was about 69 kilos. So you just ping straight off. On my first go on Heat 1, I didn't score a single point. But the bit that you don't see is, so you'll be stood up there and you'll be ready to go. The gladiators will get into place. And then you'd expect it to be contender ready. Not the case. You're stood there for could be could be 10 seconds, could be 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to sort of you know keep focused. And then it's the floor manager will say to the audience, okay, ladies and gentlemen, come out to you in three, two, one. They go, woo. <laughs> and then you'll hear Ian Wright or Kirsty Gallagher say, It's now time for a hit and run. You know, John Anderson, it's over to you. Cuts. Break again. Uh... And then it's, at some point, contender ready. So by, and that's when the crowd go, ah. So you've had all of these almost false finishes, almost. And then it's off we go. And so when I first, so after all that rigmarole and build up to take maybe four steps and be booted straight (laughs) in the water, you're then trying to manage that disappointment. So when you get out and are on microphone, you don't sound bitter. It doesn't sound like sour yeah. grapes. Yeah. When what you're actually thinking is, this, this isn't fair. <laughs> and it is fair. It's just life. But yeah, so that's, that's I suppose, the best way to explain it. The really. beauty of TV. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how they put things together for TV, I suppose, from a, from a viewer's perspective and then getting that account of it. You, you see, I, I often wondered what it would be like to, to go and see the Gladiators live. You know, is it, mm-hmm. is it the same as seeing it on TV or is it a lot of waiting around sort of in between? But giving us so a my thought. old school friend, Lauren Peary was her name. Um, I remember she got to watch Gladiators. So I was, at this point, I was in Oxford growing up before I moved to Wolverhampton. And she got to go to the National Indoor Arena Mm -hmm. in Birmingham. She got to see it. And I remember she came back, she had the foam finger. And she just says, 
it was just loads of waiting around. That, I, I remember thinking, what? Don't, don't <laughs> give me that. You've just been to Gladiators. Dreams but the reality ruined. is you're five, six years old. Yeah. It's a lot of waiting around. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, I mean, I remember Gladiators was, like you say, a typical Saturday night entertainment. That was a pillar I remember when I used to go over to my, my nan and granddad's on a Saturday. We used to watch... The afternoon, the evening TV and Gladiators, I think it was sandwiched between something like You Bet or Blind Date or something like that. But it was always, it was it was like the one thing that I waited on because being a huge wrestling fan, it was, I was drawn to Gladiators back in the day by Wolf because I thought he looked like Jimmy Superfly Snooker. So I thought... <laughs> Great shout, yeah. yeah. So I thought, you know, it's probably the closest thing I've got to, to something else wrestling related. And, you know, that was it. And, in case you're wondering, it went Baywatch. Gladiators line date. There you go. There you go. I'm glad you got a memory of that. It's yeah, sad what I can remember, mate. Unfortunately, none of it's of any use, but it's there. <laughs> got there in the annals. It's in a pub quiz. <laughs> Some point, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so. indeed, mate. So yeah, so yeah, Gladiators was one. I mean, the other one I think, which I was very, very impressed with, Crystal Maze. Oh, mate, how cool that. That, that was. was so fun. That was. I mean, you are sort of reliving my childhood probably as it come around again sort of thing but again i guess that that was the reboot what they brought out a few years ago is that right yeah but i would say that reboot is in some ways better okay. because the fundamentals are there so you're being challenged in a room with locked off cameras or cameras that are in fixed positions mm. um and the games are, if you like, an amalgamation of some old ones, some new ones, but technology means that you can kind of make some of them better. You have Richard Iowardi, who, you know, this sort of thing of, what's he actually like? So he's actually an extremely intelligent man mm. and he gets scripted very little in that. Okay. Um, and from a presenting standpoint, it's a tough gig what he's doing on there. And he is a, he's, um, phenomenally witty phenomenally sharp he's a really solid technical presenter mm. um, and then the weird thing about the crystal maze is it is obviously a film set mm. so it's it's tough to explain it but when you're running from event to event you're running by virtue of the camera angle yeah so if you were to avert your gaze slightly to the left you'll see the plywood of the studio. But what's unbelievable is the scale of it. It's, it's absolutely on steroids. Right. The actual build of that is just off the charts. And yeah, that game, that show is just so good. Yeah. The main frustrating thing about that is you go pretty much, can I do all the games, please? <laughs> yeah. Just one, please. Just that one um, or two. But I actually met some really cool people. You know, on, on mine was um, Richard Maidley, who was exactly as you'd hope him to be. Yeah. Um, uh, Ashley Roberts, Pussycat Dolls, does Heart Radio as well. Um, Kate from Good Morning Britain. Uh, Joe, a comedian. Just really cool yeah, people. Good mix. good mix of people, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I that was probably one of my biggest disappointments when I was a kid, when I found out the Crystal Maze wasn't this world that you could just go into and, you know, all these, to, to know that it was just set out in, like you say, a TV studio or a hangar or something, and they're just sort of walking in between. I thought this place actually existed. 
and you know i could go there and just uh, go up in these lifts and go to completely different worlds and yeah but uh you got to live that dream that's that's amazing it was very it was very cool it was yeah. very, very cool all i would say is um i went to crystal maze in tenby they used to have one in wales okay. and it was maze it actually was that thing that you're talking about of mm. the world yeah and that was so good that's one of my yeah. fondest childhood memories actually <laughs> awesome and my son would be my little boy would be very very impressed to know that you run ninja warrior yeah mate i've got the i've got a ninjury to to prove it uh, oh no yeah i am so i completed the course and then in so doing ruptured my fdp tendon which goes into your ring finger and is responsible for pulling the the top if you like phalange in so if i didn't have the operation it, it wouldn't be a functioning finger oh, no. um and so I decided to have the operation, but yeah, which meant I couldn't do the semi-final because I'd qualify for the semi-finals. And that was, oh, that was gutting because I really, 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 really wanted to make the final. That was my kind of quiet aim. Yeah. And I thought it was, it's, I trained quite hard for it. Okay. So yeah, I, I was up for that, but that's, that's how it goes. And then to be fair, that's almost the opposite of the kind of TV intervention that we're talking about where it's you and the course, you do it how you want to do it. You take as long as you want to take to do it. The longer you take, the less chance you have of going through, but it's all on you. And yeah. it's very, very cool that. Yeah. Um, I can tell that you're not, I mean, looking at already what you've said that you've done, you know, things physical like gladiators, Ninja Warrior, Crystal Maze, that kind of thing. You're not, you're not just someone who stands in front of the camera, you know, and presents things. You're very, very physical. Yeah, and um, as well as like covering, I know, like Olympics coverage and that that you've done. In 2018 and Paralympics in uh, I think 2012 was it? You... Yeah, Olympics Paralympics yeah. 2012. Yeah, that was kind of hard. Yeah, so so you you've actually competed in sports as well yourself, um, karate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and even up to um, trying out to get on the uh, the British skeleton bobsleigh team for the 2014. Yeah. Is there anything that you don't try your hand at physically? <laughs> Um, well, I'm a failed sportsman is basically <laughs> my route into TV. So I've unfortunately, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to call some of my friends um, or some, if you like, really world-class sports people friends. And I, we both started with the same aspiration and ambition. The difference was they were actually talented. <laughs> so, um, and it was the failure in sport ultimately that pushed me on then to wanting to get into TV because I thought, okay, well, that unicorn turns out wasn't for me. Mm. And I just parlayed every ounce of energy I had into TV. And it was then three years of working for free to get my opportunity in TV. And three years of living in a hostel, three years of doing work experience, internships. Um, over those three years, I earned nine grand. And that is not a lot of money to survive on. But no. that was that really came in no small part down to failure in one endeavor. And so when I look back at Skeleton... I had this kind of slightly torn um, viewpoint of it because on the one hand, I'm devastated that it didn't come about for me because when I started, uh, I was in the same group, basically, it was slightly complex, but the same group as a lady called Lizzie Arnold, who went on to become the greatest ever winter Olympian this country's ever produced, uh, double Olympic gold. And so... The same with a guy who went to Germany, with a guy called Don Parsons, uh, Olympic bronze medalist, Laura Dees, Olympic bronze medalist. And so we have a rich history in skeleton. And I really feel that if 
I'd gotten selected, I would have done all right, but I didn't get selected. But it's because of that heartbreak and heartache mm. that I had such a fire in me that I was willing to do whatever it took within reason to get me into this second unicorn, which was presenting. Yeah. So was it, was it sports presenting that you wanted to, to like you had your sights set on or, or were you up for anything? Yeah. Um, so I always wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter. If you asked me when I was 10, I'd have said Blue Peter. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love Blue Peter. I always will. Um, then when, when I was at Blue Peter, I got a few opportunities slash sort them out uh, within sport. So one was in snooker, one was in uh, athletics, specifically the World Athletics Championships 2015. Um, and so great North run, great South run. And, and I was doing more and more, but then to get into presenting, even Blue Peter, as you mentioned at the top, I'd done, I'd worked at the 2012 Olympics and the Paralympics. Now that wasn't specifically strictly for TV. It was, so if you turned up, if you had a ticket to the weightlifting, uh, there's a 50-50 chance, depending on which session you went to, that I was going to be the guy who was going to speak to the audience. Yeah. Now, we, we call that live pres. That's what TV people would call it, live presentation, right. rather than live presenting. So I had a camera in front of me, so you could see me on the screen. I was there, in essence, to narrate the experience for anyone. Mm-hmm. So if you arrive and you are not an expert in weightlifting, by the end of our VTs and our interviews, you will understand what it is. And then furthermore, it was then streamed throughout the Olympic Village. So um, it, w- it wasn't a big deal in that if you made a massive mistake, it's only the crowd that are going to see it. But it, and to be fair, 2012, even then, phone cameras weren't really as much of a thing as they are now. Um, but it was my chance. And I thought someone might see me and you're working with a lot of producers, a lot of assistant producers, a lot of researchers. So if I do well, who knows what it could lead to. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, I ended that in August, 2012, August, 2013, I then got my break on Blue Peter and it was in no small part again because of that. So slightly sl- uh, long rambling story there, awesome. but, but that was my, if you like, I've sandwiched sports, yeah. Or kids' TV has been sandwiched by sport. They've been the bread, if you like, either side of it. But I do like doing other things as well. But mm-hmm. sport's kind of where my knowledge is and experience is. Yeah. Segwaying quite nicely into Blue Peter then. So sort of talk us through how that sort of from, from your previous gig that you had you know, before that, how did the Blue Peter thing come about? So there's a lot of convoluted connections here, but in a sort of succinct couple of sentences, it goes from, um, I go to a thing called the network, which was um, at the Edinburgh Festival. And every year they take 40 young people who get a chance to get a masterclass in TV. So it's part of the TV festival within the Edinburgh uh, Festival. And just to be clear when I say that, the Edinburgh Festival has lots of elements to it. Mm. One is the comedy festival. One lesser known is the TV festival. So as part of the TV festival where you'll have lots of um, expensive tickets pretty much for people um, to, to find out. So for example, you'll hear that the BBC One controller will give a one hour speech over what you can expect to see on BBC, what they're looking for. And so for independent companies, for production companies, for other channels, it's a really important time. So I got to experience this thing 
off the back of that, they did a thing called the Network at Work, which was a work experience placement that you applied to go on. Got that. Again, lots of connecting dots here, but cut to the next big step. I then did um, an internship via the network. That was at CBBC. And whilst I was there, um, I then got screen tested for a show called Wild, um, which was with my friend Naomi and Tim, and got that. They became my friends, they weren't my friends before. Um, got that, and then off the back of that, got Blue Peter. Now there are, I could tell that story over three hours. <laughs> That's a sort of much more succinct version. Cool. So how did, do you remember the day that you got told that you, you'd been successful in getting on Blue Peter? How do you celebrate something like that? Um, it's, it, to be fair, it, to, it wasn't really worthy of, of celebration in that it was outside of bereavement, the most emotional day of my life. It was, I mean, I, I'm not an emotional guy and I cried. Um, I was sat, I went for um, a meeting and if you ever work in TV, radio, et cetera, if you go for a meeting, what it normally means is a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. And I went for one meeting and I decided an NDA, non-disclosure, to say that whatever's going to be spoken about here is, um, it cannot be uh, released or uh, told to anyone. So I was sat there and I thought I'd actually lost my job on wild. That's what I actually thought it was. Okay. So, um, and I was ready to almost hear this bad news. And then Cheryl Taylor says to me, uh, Radzi, we would like you to become the 37th Blue Peter presenter. And it was in terms of moments. It, I once heard there's a bodybuilder called Kai Green and Kai Green uh, came second at Mr. Olympia one particular year. And this journalist said to him, how, basically, how hard is it to take that? What does it feel like? And he said, even taking one hour of what I do, you don't know the sacrifice that I make every single hour of every single day, the denial, the effort, the intensity, mm -hmm. etc." Not many people did, a few people did, a handful of people did, to have that dream, to have that reality, to have that relief, to have that, that life-changing moment in every sense of the word, in one sentence, it was, um, it's, um, I guess how you might feel, if you hadn't revised for your A-levels and you get A's in all of your exams, there'll be disbelief and they'll be, what? Wow. <laughs> but the reality is you didn't actually care because if you cared, you would have revised. Very true. Very true. It's, with this, I couldn't have given any more of myself. I, I went through, I was depressed. I didn't have depression, but I, I was depressed. I um, was totally skint. I, like I said, li was living in a hostel. I... I stayed on at Loughborough Uni, um, and so I was a subwarden. So I would basically open the doors of people who got drunk to let them back into their room. And that's fine for a week, a month, a year, not three years. No. And you become known as that guy. That guy, is he still there? Wow, is he not going to? And so you are a laughing stock. You are the guy who's just part, stayed at that party for way too long. And so for that, to turn around in such an abrupt handbrake style 
it really, I would be doing a disservice to it to try and put it into words, but it's just the most um, overwhelming lift of stress and hope and desire I will ever have. Nothing will ever come. If I were to win the lottery tomorrow, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a spot on that. No. Um, so yeah, it was, it was the, it was, when I say one of the best moments of my life, the reason I'm slightly hesitating is that it was, if you watch Jessica Ennis Hill when she crosses the Olympic finish line, she doesn't, she's not in euphoria. She's in total relief, mm. but the relief is then usurped by euphoria, but it's still just, I've done it. Yeah. I've done it. And that's what it was. And so in terms of I've had better moments because it's always been a great thing. You know, when let's say I went to WrestleMania and we found out we were going, that is amazing. <laughs> There's no downside to that beforehand. So wow. I was neutral beforehand. Yeah. Whereas I was so low. I was the Mariana Trench low. <laughs> so to then be rocket blasted up and above water level, even just to get to water level from the bottom of the trench, is that alone is just overwhelming. And so, yeah, but it, it was, yeah. I guess, indescribable, was most yeah. accurate. That's, that's an amazing story really i think in the way you described that i think anyone out there who's got any hopes dreams i mean this is going to sound very cliche but kind of you know listening to you tell that story hopefully gives everyone hope that at some point we'll arrange we, we can all achieve these things even when you don't think they're coming well yeah. i'll be i'll be totally honest though so that's the, that's the sort of the new narrative that we say you can do anything etc etc well i can't play in the nba you know, I'm, I'm five foot nine i'm not six foot ten now, there are 101 reasons why you may not achieve something, and a lot of them will be out of your control. Mm. And the thing that was hardest about that journey is th the reality was it was more likely that I wouldn't get to where I was hoping to go to than I would, and I'd accepted that. Mm. So I think for me the point is you'll never know if you could have unless you try. Yeah. And then within that, you'll never know really if you could have achieved it unless when you try you give everything to it Absolutely. now if someone is if, if i've got two children and they've got and i've got mouths to feed do you think i'm going to be exploring my dream no mm. i'm not i'm going to be putting food in their mouths yeah and growing up in wolverhampton i've seen a lot of deprivation you know we're not affluent by any stretch but we're definitely not going through what a lot of people go through or sorry mm. this is past tense now um so for those people, the chances of becoming an Academy Award-winning actor, well, how on earth are they going to even have that opportunity? How are they even going to find out that it's a plausible opportunity? Mm. So I, whilst I do think that in Britain, we look for the negative. We look for the why it won't happen. And Americans on the whole are so much more positive and ambitious and uh, optimistic. Mm. I do think part of that um, endeavour comes from the acceptance that it probably won't happen mm. but i will only find out if i go for it and when i go for it i truly commit myself yeah to it. yeah i think what you touched on there as well about you know if you if you've got kids you're uh, you know you won't be concentrating on your dreams i think you know being a dad as well i've found my my dreams have changed 
in alignment with what my responsibilities are now. So I think the important thing for me is, is whatever ambitions you've got, they need to remain fluid as well, because at some point, you know, you may need them to change or they change by themselves. And, you know, as long as you can move with that rather than be so tunnel visioned on one thing and then, you know, just end up in despair when it doesn't happen. um, Yeah. Or even get to wherever it is you're hoping to get to, but to the detriment of your relationship with your partner, with your children, with your, is it worth it? Because, you know, and that's, that's another topic that, you know, seldom gets discussed is, is it worth it? Mm. And that's one of the questions that we've been asking ourselves here during all this, you know, um, down to things like homeschooling. So many parents that we, um, that we know this time around started off with every, you know, including us with every intention of doing everything right as if they weren't missing school at all. And, and in the end, it became so difficult for all of us. It's like, at what point do we just draw that line and think we're doing our best, but we need to start thinking of ourselves past a certain point, you know, and puts it, puts it all in perspective. So. There's a reason you become qualified to become a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I knew newfound respect for them. I respected them anyway before, but I, you know, seeing what they do, even though I got a glimpse of it, I know, you know, I couldn't do that. I'm not kidding out. uh, (laughs) Being a parent doesn't make you a teacher. I think that's one thing I've learned through it. You have to teach, but not education. Exactly. Yeah. So sticking with Blue Peter for a little bit, obviously being a wrestling fan. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, having the opportunity to, um, to, did you go over to WrestleMania for Blue Peter, did you? Yeah, so it started off, um, me and my mate Jack, who um, is a, an AP on Blue Peter, we love wrestling, and we kind of pitched a few ideas. And then what happened was, so the New Day were in town, mm-hmm. and we did a film inside the ring at Raw, and it became the most popular video on the Blue Peter website. Wow. And that's when the bosses went, oh, right, okay, so this is a thing then, this is a really a thing. Mm. So then off the back of that, um, uh, Michael Cole um, and Nigel McGuinness came to the Blue Peter studio and they we revealed to the country the brand new UK championship belt or the brand new, if you like, NXT UK product. It wasn't called NXT UK at this point. No. Um, and that was at the UK championship tournament. And... That was very, and so then I then went to go and watch that in Blackpool on day two when Tyler get, gets crowned. And then off the back of that, I'm gonna say that was, I'm gonna say January, it was in the depth of winter, it was December, January time. And so then when that had finished, we then said to the Blue Peter team, Look, there's this enormous event, it was January, I think, there's this enormous event called WrestleMania, and we showed them the stats of the amount of viewers worldwide um, and everything like that and the social media traction and said, we think that we can get the chance to go and that WWE would give us basically behind the scenes access. They'd give us unprecedented access. And the reason for that, the reason we knew that was they were so pleased with how it came out with our first VT as we call it. Mm. And then with the reveal in the studio, because the thing about wrestling, as you know, is you say wrestling to most adults and you get such a varied response. Mm. And it pretty much boils down to either you get it or you don't. Yeah. But those that don't get it sometimes go down the, oh, what is that? Yeah. Oh, do you know it's not real? <laughs> <laughs> really? 
talking about? And it's, um, and so within that, it just transmogrified it from the Blue Peter bosses. They'd gone from, we have no idea and we're skeptical to all of a sudden, right, the last two times these guys got excited about this thing, it resulted in a real success. Mm-hmm. Well, this actually won't cost us very much because we're going to send three people on a plane. And it's, which like, sounds sort of such a middle-class thing to say, but if you have a budget for a film, let's just say that it's five grand. Mm. Well, it's gonna, all you're going to have to do is pay for return tickets to America and hotels. That's it. Those are the only costs. We're not having to pay contributors. We're not having to pay. So let's just say you're going to do a film about bungee jumping, let's say. Mm. Well, you're going to have to pay for a safety team. You're going to have to pay for the bungee team or certainly the bungee team's time, which is going to mean exclusive time, which is going to mean however long it takes to do a bungee jump, let's say one every six minutes. Mm. Well, if we're going to have it for three hours, that's six minutes or 180 minutes divided by six. So that's 30 bungees worth of time yeah. straight away. And that's just for a bungee film. So it actually was a very, very good value for money film. And so they went, okay, right, off you go. You can, and we added a few bits and bobs to it, a few different elements. We got to go to the PC. We got to um, uh, go to TakeOver. We got to the interview a number of the wrestlers. We went to Hall of Fame and all of that. And it was just so, I mean, just on a professional level, it was brilliant because we got to make some really good content and shine a light on wrestling mm. and share my passion, if you like, with the audience. Yeah. And on a personal note, it was just flipping awesome because I got to experience WrestleMania. Yeah, but not only go to the event, you know, you get all the thrills that come with it that sort of anyone else would probably just, you know, dream about being able to take time. Yeah, and, you know, it's not lost on me the fact that, you know, I remember the second time more than anything, but when I was 14, I went on a plane for the first time. I remember it, you know, and I I went on a plane again, I think when I was 18, maybe, I don't know. these, it's not as though I, I do not come from an experience where that would be the norm. Yeah. That is that is beyond belief. Yeah, yeah. So, I just, sorry, just come in. If anyone's thinking, I'm not sure if Mania is worth it because you get Mark, <laughs> Super Mark, you know, oh, Mania isn't what it used to be, or you know, uh, I don't know. It's going to be a political. Who's going to go over? It's going to be the politics or whatever they say. Go, yeah, go. Yeah. Go and go. It is whatever hopes you have, it will blow them out of the water only in an exceeding sense. Every, I, the two, well, the one guy we went with who wasn't a wrestling fan pretty much lost his stuff when the Hardy Boys came out. And even he had said afterwards, he went, I I actually can't believe how good that was. I, I actually, I genuinely cannot believe it's theater on the biggest scale, mm. on the biggest stage, when Bobby Roode came out at TakeOver with a, with a choir and a pianist, it was the most beautifully constructed, cinematic, ocularly stimulating experience ever. So yeah, sorry, I interrupted you, but if you no, get the chance right. to go to go. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of mates who have who've gone over there from the UK to to watch WrestleMania and I've been so jealous every time. Yeah, you know, I've been to one WWF live show in my lifetime, which was one night only back in '97, back in, up in Birmingham. So 
I, I loved it. I was a massive HBK fan at the time, and I was probably the only one on our block that had a sign for Shawn Michaels and not the British Bulldog. Um, so when he won, it was it was amazing. I felt like I was on my own really cheering up there, but it was, you know, it, it, I spent the whole event thinking, am I really here? You know, it's like I'm watching it on TV. Is that actually taking place just <laughs> down there? Yeah. Um, but um, I think WrestleMania, I... To put this this whole like podcast in perspective as well is I I grew up as a massive wrestling fan. My sort of favourite era is the the mid eighties to the sort of two thousand. It's a long era. It's a long era. A lot happened in that. Um, But I haven't really. I've not been quite as into um, into the product since probably sort of two thousand two two thousand three. I do keep up with it, and I think WrestleMania always piques my interest to see what they're doing. And I've seen it blow up, even though I've not been watching the events every year. I've seen it blow up into this massive, like you say, it's like theatre, this massive production. It almost harks back to what the early WrestleManias, like one, two and three, right back in the day when they were a spectacle. You know, you had that mix of of celebrity and and, um, the WWF and everything. It was it was it's all these genres mixing. There was a bit of a lull in the middle where it was just the wrestling stuff. They didn't really mix all that well. But now, I think the last, what, 10 years, they've tried to bring it into this such a, such a huge event, which is broadcast on like seven hours or something, I think, start to finish. So it's almost like he's, you know, say what he, say what he wants against Vince McMahon and what he's done over the years. He's rolled with the times and he's made his product relevant every single time. Um, Correct, and, and yeah, you know, like say say what you want. You know, the, the figures speak for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. And you only have to look at the network to know that they are ultimately future-proofing themselves. Yeah, and yeah. It's when you think of so, if go back to me in school, if we mm. said let's gather up all the wrestling fans in your school, there would I could, or better still. Go into another school and choose 10 people who you think will be wrestling fans. Mm. You'd probably have a good idea of what they'll look like, sound like, walk like, talk like. Well, now they could be boys and girls. Mm. They could be school age, but young and old. They could be, you know, it's so much more accessible. It's not so much or it's not niche anymore. Um, and, you know, some people like that. Some people don't like that. You know, I, I love athletics, for example. And a lot of people don't like athletics to become a commercial product. Well, there's a reason why athletics isn't growing the way other sports are, because it's ultimately skewing to the, um, the traditionalist, mm. which, again, is fine. But it means that it's never going to have that exposure unless mm. you do the things that are necessary to hit a, a mainstream audience. And wrestling's done that and then some. And it's you know, to be backstage at the events and, you know, just is the coolest thing. Yeah. So to, before I delve into your your sort of personal history history with wrestling, um, I must ask, the, the NXT UK gig, how did that come about from... Was it was it your experience with Blue Peter and the WWE and that, and that kind of mixing? Did that kind of start it off? Yeah, so all it was, Michael Cole came in and we spoke about wrestling and yeah, he said to me, oh, wow, you really do like it, don't you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And uh, when he left, I just I emailed him afterwards and I just said, um, if ever there's an opportunity in this country, I'd, I'd love to be considered for it. Left it at that. He responded and said, you know, if there is, I'll let you know. And I didn't really think much more of it. And then roll on. I'm not really sure how long it was. Maybe would it have been six months, a year? I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to say about maybe six or seven months. Mm. He then emailed me to say, are you still interested? And I said, absolutely. And very quickly, I'm talking, you know, a day later, we had a phone call. And then it was a day after that, I was sent a contract. Wow. Um, and it was, a, you know, a really quick turnaround. But that's what WWE do. They don't, they just don't mess around. It's, no. you want to? No. Well, no worries at all. Take care. See you down the road. They can move on. Yes, but let's, let's get it sorted. Whereas I think as Brits, we, we, kind of ruminate about every single tiny decision and therefore kick the can down the road for half a year, not them. <laughs> and so it came about because of Blue Peter really. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Was it, um, was it obviously NXT UK specifically that you, that you knew you were being brought in for? Yeah. So they wanted a backstage reporter. They wanted somebody ideally with TV experience um, and somebody who knew the product. And so um, that was me. Cool. And, and I watched Kathy Kelly do the, uh, the Royal Albert Hall show. And she kind of gave me some really good pieces of advice and, and how you deal with it and how you, how you do it. And yes, yeah, so I just shadowed her. And then the next show was in, on me. And it was, what was really cool was it was on, when I say it was on me, everyone was learning together. You know, if I was to join mm. Raw next week, all the guys have done that for a long time and I'd be the new kid. Whereas there, everyone was learning together and the guys you know not all of them were very comfortable doing promos um and that's something that you just learn and you become better at and yeah uh, i guess become more authentic and work on your character and so you know to, to sort of see the inception of it and then see how it evolves and grows and changes adapts just yeah really really fortunate so like myself you know i i self-professed old school wrestling fan like i say you know growing up with it in the era i did i'm very fond of, of of that kind of time if you had if you were to say to um to someone like myself who who hasn't really watched a lot of the product in say the last 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. if you have to sell nxt uk to us you know what would you say about it to get us to watch it how would you how would you describe it Okay, so if it was specifically um, to the 80s, um, the comparison would be um, one criticism that could be um, held or dropped at the feet of, the, if you like, quote-unquote, modern style, is that it's soft. Mm. That is not the case with NXT UK. Um, Mustache Mountain, British Strong Style. It's, cool. it's as stiff as you like. Mm. But it comes from independent British wrestling. All the guys in that ring aren't doing this for a job, for a gig, for you know, because they want to become famous. They're doing it because they love wrestling. You speak to everyone from Nina Samuels, Sam Gradwell, um, Mark Andrews, Flash Morgan Webster, Ashton, Wolfie, Coffees. You know, I'm missing so many out. Jordan Devlin, all the Welsh boys. I mean, all of them. Ginny, uh, just everyone. They've all worked in the game for years. Mm -hmm. And it's just 
very cool to see. You know, when you speak to Trent Seven, and it's 10 years you've been doing this. Oh, no, longer than 10 years. And they've been doing it in Pontins, in Butlins, in holiday camps, in to tiny audiences. So passion is at the core, one thing I would say. Sure. Um, where it might differ to perhaps the American style is, so I'd say the American style, if you were to describe a, a wrestler, they're probably going to be somewhere in the region of six foot three, six foot four, six foot five. They're probably going to be weight wise in kilos, somewhere between 98 kilos and maybe 115 if they're pretty heavy um, or roughly about 215 pounds to about 250. In the UK, that isn't the case. It, much smaller guys mm. on the whole, uh, which changes the style, much more technical, um, much more nuanced, much more subtle, and also much more um, honest to the area. So mm. Drew, Drew McIntyre, what an unbelievable ascension he's had. But I wouldn't say he's archetypally Scottish. Right. So he could, he's, you could quite um, easily change him for a, a British person who isn't from Scotland. Mm. You could change him, arguably, for an Australian person or an American person. He represents, I would say, the West. Nothing wrong with that, just an observation. Mm. Yeah. But the coffees, for example... They are unadulterated Glaswegian lads. You know, yeah. Eddie Dennis, Mark Andrews, Flash, Boar. They are unadulterated Welsh lads. You know, whether it's Danny Birch, Cockney, whether it's uh, the Grizzled Young Vets, Scousers, you know, whether it's Mustache Mountain, Wolverhampton, you know, Black Country. Mm. It's they are so honest to the area that they come from, the upbringing that they've had. Mm. And so I guess it's led from passion. It's honest. It's a different style. It's a throwback to the eighties. Um, and it's guys that want to learn. Yeah. Can you see a lot of the guys that are in there now out of them? Can you see the ones who, who may well make it like in the main brand? one day you know one thing i've learned is i've stopped almost writing people off mm -hmm. because if you look at um okay so there's a guy who's in the world's strongest man final this year i called adam bishop and adam bishop i trained with him at loughborough i was there when he pulled 300 kilos off the floor in the deadlift now if anyone's ever deadlifted if they if they happen, I would imagine if you walked into your your average Virgin Active or pure gym, whatever it might be, the strongest dude in there, the absolute strongest, is pulling no more than two forty off the floor. Yeah. He's benching. Well, let's keep the two forty. So when Bish pulled three hundred off the floor, that was very impressive for a guy that was about one hundred and five kilos at that point. Now he's pulling 450 off the floor. And wow. if you'd said to me, what is his capacity? I'd have said 340 at a push, at a push. Um, I, same with a guy called Luke Richardson, very similar story with him. Um, I've seen athletes 
who have trained at Loughborough Uni, who've, who were relative. There was one athlete who was brought in for a guy called Harry Akinzariti. Harry Akinzariti, a double world junior champion. Never been done before, by the way. No one has ever gotten uh, a gold medal in the same world, champ, world junior championships in the 100 and 200. Not Carl Lewis, not Usain Bolt, nobody. Mm. But Harry Akinzariti did. So to give him better fodder to run against in training, he brought a guy called James DeSalo in. James went from a two, well, and also ran to the second fastest all time this country's ever produced. So I've stopped writing 991, if anyone's interested. Mm. Um, I've stopped writing people off because I think actually, when you are totally committed to something, they say talent beats hard work when hard work fails to do exactly that. Or so, excuse me, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Mm -hmm. um, so whilst I think there are some people that shine, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to, they will be the ones, you know, yeah. grizzled young vets in the ring. There's just, there's a sparkle. It wasn't a surprise to me when they got taken abroad, taken over to NXT. Pete Dunne, you just see it. Rhea Ripley, what a creature she is. What an unbelievable specimen. Mm. And, you know, as good on the mic as she is in the ring. And also very humble. Just really just yeah. down to earth girl. Uh, Tony, same story. Um, now, it'll be interesting to know if and when Tyler Bate gets the nod, if and when Trent gets the nod, mm -hmm. if and when Flash Morgan or the Mark Andrews get the nod, um, if a kid, another one, um, Jordan Devlin. And, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you why it's really interesting. For me, the men isn't as interesting as the women. Okay. Because uh, the roster is, it's stacked. Yeah. And we've had Tony go across, Rhea go across, but they're both Aussies. Okay. So who from the Brits is going to be the first one to get the nod? Because mm. that will be, whew, what, an, what an accomplishment that will be. Um, if you put me on the spot, yeah. I'd go Ginny. If you put me on the spot. Okay. You heard it here. So, you know. If it does, <laughs> exclusive over this side. Where, where do you think um, the, the change, obviously WWE has got a lot to do with the change uh, in how women's wrestling is perceived and marketed and, and everything these days. There was this massive time when it was considered um, almost like taboo, really, in, in the pro wrestling world to have a women's division and stuff. But um, where, where were... Was this this under undercurrent of talent, you know, in the women's division or even the British, you know, division? Where was it before things like NXT, you know, to to put it out there? Um, well, I suppose it, certainly from a female standpoint, it comes from aspiration. That mm. uh, you know, if we're going to talk pragmatically, you've got a wrestling company that are seeing virtually exclusively all male audiences, and thinking right. How do, we, how do we tap into the female market? Mm. Well, let, let's look at who they've got to look up to. Ah, not that many people. Okay, are there good female athletes around the world? Yeah, a multitude of them, a myriad of them. Well, let's start tapping into that then. Mm. Um, and I think Ronda Rousey is just a case in point. You know, you take the Brock Lesnar model and you apply it to women. Yeah. You've, 
you've got so many people, uh, someone like Bianca Belair, who's a failed track and field athlete, a failed CrossFit athlete. And when I say failed, that's in the greatest of respect. Yeah. Because she achieved really good things as a CrossFit athlete, really good things. But for her, she obviously decided, for whatever reason, it either wasn't for her or she didn't want to give what was required to get to the top of that particular mountain. Maybe she wasn't that fussed about what she was going to see from the top of the mountain. Yeah. But there's an example of somebody who's gone from one sport and seen an opportunity to apply that trade into another. Because actually, as much as, it, as great as it is to perform in the sense of to lift something for reps, to get the most out of your body, it's something slightly different to get a response from a crowd. Yeah. To hear an ooh, ah, no way, or even laughter. Mm. You know, these are things which you can become addicted to. And so I think it starts with the aspiration of, right, how do we tap into 50% of the world's population? And then we go after it with a relentless obsession. And then where have the Brits been? The Brits have always been there. Mm. It's just that a, a camera hasn't been shot on, or a camera hasn't been pointed at them. Yeah. Um, and they were doing it on very small scales in Wolverhampton of all places. Okay. You know, a number of the guys are based in Wolverhampton. So, I mean, who knew? That's where I'm from. You know, I, I didn't even know about it. So <laughs> the people in Wolverhampton didn't even know about it, but they were doing it just on a very small scale. Yeah. Um, and it was all for the love. So when you take love and then you give an opportunity to love, well, that's what we're seeing now is yeah. people going for it. Yeah. And you see a lot of these um, sort of new promotion. I, I say new, you know, like AEW, for example, you know, mm -hmm. they're fairly bedded in now, but AEW NXT, it's brought, it's, it's, it's breathed a whole new life into wrestling. I think they got a little, may have got a little bit stagnant for a while and it's given them a, a platform for these guys to perform where they're, they're naturally, they're not being, if you had the smaller guys in the main roster, five, 10, 15 years ago, in the WWE, they, they wouldn't have been pushed as far as they could have been. But I think now that you've got the platform of NXT to really hone those skills by the time they get up there, you know, people know them and they're looking for them to succeed. It's like with presenting, you know, kids TV. It's, it's a platform on which you can learn who you are. Mm. It's a platform on which you can, you can, learn your chops yeah and you're going live is the bottom line mm. it is live and you there's nothing that i've done in adult tv that i haven't already done many many more times in kids tv yeah. which means that when someone says oh we should try radzi he's a new talent call me whatever you want to call me but i've done this thing before mm. so therefore you're then going to be surprised when it turns out i'm not totally incompetent yeah um because I've had that opportunity, I've had that foundation, I've had that training. And it's not official formal training, but it's undeniable, undeniably a learning curve that you go on. Yeah. And the same with NXT and the, you know, NXT UK, I'm, I know it'll go out to India, I'm sure it'll go out to Germany. And you know, these, in fact, there's one I meant, missed out because I was thinking of Brits, the Germans, Walter. Ah, oh, of course. So, yeah, the man um, who's sort of setting all the records. Right. Um, and so, and even uh, the Marcel Bartels, uh, the Fabian Eichners. I mean, Fabian is a, a very, very well put together bloke. Very strong guy. Very strong guy. Mm. Um, you know, those guys as well. How will it 
um, more for size there. What will what will happen with that from a narrative standpoint? Um, you know, even um, yeah, my, my brain's. I've actually just clocked a spider on the floor, and I thought, is that a wood louse? Because in Wolverhampton, we used to have an, an, an issue with wood lice. Okay. Oh, me, I haven't just moved into a new house, and we've now got wood lice already. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. So I suddenly just stopped then. But um, yeah, so it's it's a very very interesting place. Yeah. In terms of British talent, uh, male or female, that aren't part of the NXT UK brand at the moment you know is there anyone out there that you would like to see join that there's been rumors flying around lately about what Davy boy smith jr is going to be doing um and that he apparently was in talks with wwe about joining nxt or nxt uk is there anyone specifically out there that you would like to see join i've got to be honest i can't really say i watch any other british products okay. um uh progress um yeah but a lot of the guys in progress are similar to the guys that you'll see in NXT UK. Mm. Um, I saw a bit of WOS. Um, in fact, I went to the first showing at ITV in Media City when that when that happened. Okay. Uh, in fact, that's when I saw Dave Mastiff for the first time. Oh yeah, large creature, big. If I missed that big Dave, I missed that big Dave. <laughs> Dave's a, mate, it's a treasure trove of talent. Yeah, you know, Dave, another strong dude, and I, and I'll be frank, I think he's one of the most underutilized guys. Mm. Um, the product has, I think he's. Um, if I if I were, um, if he was on the, on the Radzi wrestling show. He'd be, he wouldn't be a face, he'd be a heel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so not, not too au fait with other, other products, to be honest with you. No. Um, but safe to say that if they... Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's change the question to... If I were to... Okay, there's um, a lady who's a shot putter, GB's best shot putter, called Sophie McKenna. Her... Okay. I'd love to see her in NXT UK. So she's not a wrestler. But she is somebody who is, has all the physical attributes to do a lot of damage there. So that's who I go for. That's Both interesting. Me. Yeah, no, cool, cool. Yeah, see, I, I, in my head, I suppose I was looking at some, you know, more obvious ones, I suppose. Um, Marty Skrull is my sort of British wrestling hero, I think, of the modern era. And, but then the question would be, because I, I suppose, I, I don't know for sure whether he's based out in the States or that now, because he was with Ring of Honor for so long, but would he go to NXT over there or would he come to the UK one? You know, either, either or. I'd love to see him in there, what, yeah, what well, they would do with him. I guess one of the big questions would be is the travel. Yeah. Uh, once upon a time, you could have done both. Mm. Whereas now, a bit more of a challenge, you'd have to yeah. commit. Right, time is running away. I really want to get some of these. I've got some questions you know, written down that I desperately want to get through, which kind of delves, like I've, I touched on before, into your kind of, your history with wrestling. Sure. So going right back to the beginning, when did you first become a fan? Sort of how old were you? What was the era? What was going on? A few things. So one was when WCW came to ITV for a short period of time. So I got to watch uh, yeah. Sting, got to watch Ric Flair, Hogan, um, and 
yeah, it was that. And then when, when I got a real chance to, to delve into it was when WWF, as it was, came to Heat, came to Channel 4. Yes. And, you know, that, that I think is a side. I don't think necessarily people realize what a significant deal that was that they got with Channel 4. Mm. Because the, the commissioners at Channel 4 probably looked at those viewing figures and went, I don't know, they're not enormous because it was on a channel, it was on channel four on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So, but in terms of the loyalty, yeah. I, I didn't miss a single heat. I and don't think I did actually. No, I, I remember that. Yeah. Cause I, I got sky. Um, I think it was about 95, late 95. That was the first time that I ever really got to see any of the weekly shows. You know, I, I was kind of reliant on VHS tapes and stuff. Um, but when it got into Channel 4, I could show my dad it when he came up at a weekend, you know, because he didn't have Sky. And I could finally show him what it was that <laughs> I was, you know, what I was, what I was into. So, yeah. yeah, so that for me, that was when. And so, and then it was The Rock who kind of took me across to, I don't just like this thing, I love this thing. And yeah. that was um, about 2000, no, 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 nine. See, my mates had Sky, so I could sometimes see it at their houses. But in terms of autonomously being able to sort of access it, mm. going on the very early iteration of WWF.com, which yeah. took about 55 minutes to upload <laughs> a video, a promo of The Rock, which lasted 55 seconds. Yeah. Um, and if you missed it, so if you literally missed, so it so it'd buffer, 1%, two minutes later, 2%. And when it got to 100%, it would automatically play. If you missed that play, it was gone. Go back to the beginning. You, yeah. you couldn't pause it. It just played. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so late 90s, early noughties. Cool. Is there a particular like angle, happening, event, whatever it was, that you still hold as like your, your favourite moment from back then or the one that really hooked you in and, and you know, kept you wanting to be a wrestling fan? Possibly backlash. I think it was 03. Okay. Maybe it was maybe it's a bit earlier than that. Maybe it was 01. Uh, but it was when um, it was the, the don't trust anybody, and Stone Cold came back, and we didn't know it was he going to be on the Rock side. Was he going to be on Rikishi side? Oh yeah, uh, no one. Yeah. And it ended with don't trust anybody, Rock. Um, and then Stone Cold appeared at Backlash, and you didn't know exactly where he was. Uh, then there was also hearing Stone Cold for the first time say what? I remember thinking, what did he say that for? Because <laughs> he was, it was to do with Kurt Angle and he had, his, he had his title and he says, Kurt, I'm on a bridge, White. I said, I'm on a bridge, White. I'm going to throw your damn title off the, White. And I thought, why does he keep doing that? And then roll on three weeks. Stone Cold Steve Austin, what? <laughs> He's gonna walk down this ramp, what? He's gonna stomp a mud hole in you, you know. And it was, it was just wow. Yeah. It's like the most unlikely thing to catch on, especially with him after everything he'd done. Just hey, yeah, a question. <laughs> you uh, you mentioned you were uh, you were there and you witnessed the UK the, the first sort of UK champion crowned, the WWE UK champion crowned. Um, I remember back in 97 when the European title first came about and there was a real, 
it was it was odd, I suppose, at the time for the WWF to have another title. You know, how it, they didn't happen very often. They introduced these new ones, so it's a real sense of occasion. It happened in Germany. It, it felt, and it was won by the British Bulldogs, so it felt like really something special. When you were there, you know, at that night and, and seeing the champion crown, did you have that sense of this is a big deal? You know, this is a big occasion. It was the crowd that made you like that because mm. of all the crowd that were there diehard indie fans diehard yeah uh, and i'd probably go as far as to say they weren't i reckon you could have split that crowd into two there were wwe fans and there were indie fans and mm. i would say that indie fans weren't fa- weren't people who went to raw or smackdown they were so vocal yeah um and it was special because the fans of the individual wrestlers were there. The family, the friends were there. You could spot them a mile off. Um, and so it, it did feel like something special. It, it, felt, um, it felt raw, it felt gritty, it felt right that it was in Blackpool. It felt surreal that Triple H was there in amongst all this. Yeah. Um, and you also had absolutely no idea who was gonna win. No idea at all. No. So there was, there was that as well. There was no politics. You, you were just watching it fresh, fresh-eyed. Yeah, awesome. I um, I remember when NXT, I think, first came down this way. They were in Plymouth um, a number of years ago. And I, I didn't manage to get tickets. I didn't manage to convince my wife, really, that I should be going to it. Um, and then I heard afterwards, I think Triple H was there. And I have a feeling Shawn Michaels may have been there as well. And I was like, I probably missed this single most perfect moment that I could have witnessed down I won't, here. I won't give anything away, but if it's the one I think it is, because I had to dry it. Was that in October? Could may well have been. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the, if you want any exclusive. So that was the day before the blue Peter's 60th birthday. Okay. Or I think the birth, no, the birthday was Tuesday. This is Sunday. And I had to go to Manchester that night. So we finished that at, and I got out of there at midnight. Then I had to drive, I think it took me five hours. And I got to the hotel in Manchester, slept for two hours, and then I was up. But I had to tell Blue Peter that I wasn't doing that. So uh, they, they had no idea because they said we need to be fresh for, the mon- for Monday's rehearsals for the biggest show of its life, yeah. which was going to be the, uh, the 60th birthday on the Tuesday. It was a full day of rehearsals on the Monday. And I, I couldn't have felt any more wasted <laughs> come that Monday morning. And I remember thinking, I hope this show wraps up. And I think that was the show when Triple H and HBK come down for really strong style. And Wolfie, um, it, yeah, it, basically, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn here, mm. but the guys who got let's say, hurt by Triple H and HBK on reflection were quite delighted that they had the privilege of that happening. I bet. Yeah, it's not, not something that's going to happen to everyone over here. This is it. This is exactly it. Um, this is exactly it. It was, you know, and you, could t- you can feel that. You can yeah. feel it. When you're at the curtain... And the guys go out there. You can feel when it's special. And when somebody gets injured, you really... It, I've got this real 
affinity with the product where I'm just, it's a privilege to be part of it and to have been a part of it. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And to see actually behind the curtain, literally and figuratively, mm. and to see when guys come back through and they feel like they haven't performed as well as they wanted to. And perhaps when um, uh, situations through no fault of their own have just emerged and they've had to respond to it and there's been a breakdown in communication or whatever. And just to see that, mm. you think this is, this is really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. The venues are small. They're intimate. It's guys who love it. It's not, it's not in Kensington. It's no. not in the four counties. It's in Plymouth, Liverpool, Birmingham, Hull, etc. Yeah. Blackpool, you know, parts of Britain, which are not glamorous, yeah. you know, invariably quite working class communities. And that's where I always feel most at home is amongst working class people. Yeah, I I went to see Echo in that really. I, I, the other couple of wrestling shows that I've seen are down this way. Um, I saw it was um, it was a UK organisation called Pride Pro Wrestling. Yeah, of course, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I I was I was hooked in because Hacksaw Jim Duggan was down there and Mr. Anderson was here and um, Rockstar Spud as he was at the time was was there. So I was like, I, I got to see Jim Duggan. You know, I grew up watching this guy and I got to meet him at the end and everything. And it, inside, you forgot that you were in a sports hall because you were spending time with these guys. And it was, it was almost like you, you could have been anywhere. You could have been at WrestleMania. You could have been at Madison Square Garden or the O2 or something. You know, it was, it was, you got that buzz from everyone that was around. As you were speaking then, I, remember I mentioned to you about working at Champion, Champion Snooker. Um, I was doing the MCing for it. And they said to me, among other things, they said, would you might fancy doing the MCing? I said, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and they said, can you really crank it up? We want it to have the most just amazing entrances. I said, but when you say crank it up, how much do you actually want this to be? Mm. Crank it all the way up. Okay, it's up to you then. So I introduced um, Neil Robertson, who was the reigning champion of champions champion. Crazy to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I introduced him as basically a Paul Heyman entrance. Oh, wow. So I said, uh, and his opponent, right. I referred to them as, as his, and his opponent. So I went, and his opponent, he comes, um, he hails from Melbourne, Australia. Um, I, I cracked some gag about he breaks, he builds more breaks than a working time directive. He <laughs> is the reigning defending undisputed champion champion <laughs> the thunder from down under neil and that thing about so mr anderson as well sorry neil robertson and i was just loads of fun basically doing wrestling entrances but actually doing it to snooker players Why and not? it actually goes out on national television that was a lot of fun. Why not? You start a new trend, I would imagine, <laughs> one day. It's, uh, right, wrapping it up, my final question. I do like, when i got guests on here, I do like to do a little bit of fantasy booking because um, as wrestling fans, that's what we do most of the time. Slightly different with yourself. So I've kind of gone along the lines of if, if Vince McMahon was to phone you and say to you, right, you've got the power to book a match at WrestleMania doesn't have to be these days it can be any wrestlemania anyone from past or present um what match would you book if you had the power to do so i want to give that i want to give a 
thoughtful answer to this. Who, who would you go for, by the way? Oh, God. I was hoping you wouldn't turn that around, actually. I don't know. This is, this is going to sound a little bit sort of anticlimactic, but there's, there's sort of two options. Probably going back to sort of 92, 93, where my heart really lies. There were two matches over those years, both involving Bret Hart, that never happened. They were supposed to happen, but they never did. One was um, Bret against Jake Roberts. I would have quite liked to see that in 92, I think. Um, or the other one would have been Hulk Hogan and Bret at that time, 93, both, you know, as they were back then. Okay, so I've got a few options. Right, so one, one is a match that's already happened, <laughs> and it's take a Triple H. Obviously. Sorry, no, apologies. Take a HBK. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, number two, bit of a rogue one. I'd go HBK and AJ Styles. It's a match that should have happened. Yeah. If they were both in the same, if they existed in the same generation almost, that should have happened. And finally, could be what I think could have gone down unbelievably well would be Rock and Miz because the build to that would have been exquisite. I would say the Miz is kind of like a modern day rock. Yeah. Um, and so I've cho chosen two people on both sides. So HK and HBK, Rock and Miz, both, I'd say, foils for one another. Mm. So I remember when Y2J came from WCW across. Um, um, so, in fact, you talk about moments. There are loads of rock promo moments when he says, for example, Booker T arrives. Um, and The Rock says, who in the blue hell are you? And then Booker T looks at the sides, looks at the crowd, you know, he's angry. He says, my name is, it doesn't matter. Even that, he just yeah. ended him, buried him. Yeah. Y2J, same story. And I remember Y2J coming, and obviously he's great on the mic, but there are levels to this game. Yeah. And he's good, but he isn't Dwayne The Rock Johnson. No. There are levels. He's one of the best on the mic, but there are levels to this game. Yeah. The Rock could speak on the mic. He could get crowd interaction. But he could, by saying one number, he could elicit an immediate response. The mm. millions. It doesn't matter what happens next. Yeah. Everyone. The millions. That's controlled by him. Mm. Not many people can do... Um, e even... I wanted him to perform in Wolverhampton so he would say, finally. <laughs> and that, that pop that he got was just unparalleled. Yeah. Well, I'd be curious to know what The Miz would do. Because I think The Miz is, uh, sorry, the line I was going to say about Y2Js. Y2Js wasn't on his level. The Miz, I'd be curious to know how that would go down. And I think it would be not as strong a match as it would be a build. Yeah. But that, that's absolutely fine. That is absolutely fine in my own. Oh, I'd love to see that. Where where do you sit on the um just just quickly, um, on the Miz winning the title? Because there's been I can see there's there's it's sort of like fifty fifty what I see online. A lot of haters against it, and I mean I'm one. I think I think he deserved that. I think it's brilliant that he finally got back there. What's what's your take on it? So I suppose what I would say this is a more of a general point, is that so wrestling's one of the few things where you have a multi-layered discussion. 
So you'll say, wasn't that performance great? So you'll judge the, the overall performance. And, but then secondly, you won't accept the storyline. You'll dissect and judge the storyline. So in EastEnders, people would say, can you believe that he did this? Mm. Or better still, a Netflix series comes out, Ozark. Can you believe that this is what happened? Whoa, I couldn't believe it. Nobody says, I really felt that when that particular moment happened, what should have happened is he should have gone there and that would have led to the opportunity. Of, so you ha it's one of the very few things where you, where you get to do that. And I do think that sometimes, sometimes um, as a wrestling fan, we can forget that perhaps they want you to be annoyed. Yeah. Perhaps that is a part of it. Mm. Otherwise, it would be very boring, very predictable, and it wouldn't make me want to tune in next week. No. Because... Part, you know, the Daniel Bryan journey. Would he have had the same rise if he got it when he deserved it? Hmm. Don't know is the answer to that. No. But so with the Miz, I get it when there's a sense of, hang on, does he have insert film coming out? Uh, that I get. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. When it when it boils down to judging a storyline and feeling a certain way about it. I think for me, the extra, um, I guess, um, assessment one should do on it is, do they want me to actually feel this way? Because mm. I sometimes think that as a fan, just presume, well, I know better than them. Of course I know better than them with all of my zero hours experience <laughs> in wrestling matches. Um, but yeah, so that's the point. In, in conclusion, Going in, and the fact that people have an opinion is a mm. great thing. Yeah. But heading towards WrestleMania in a time when mania is going to be weird again, mm. and depending on if they're allowed a crowd or depending on how that whole thing goes down, yeah. I want someone who can talk. Definitely. And needless to say that if he goes on the Today Show, Good Morning America, whatever, you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to be interested because that dude can talk so okay. that'd be my answer <laughs> Brilliant. listen mate thank you so so much for coming on this is this has been an absolute blast i um i normally open the open the floor for the last little bit for anyone to sort of uh, you know plug any projects um, where can people find you i know it's probably not that difficult to find you out on social media but you know feel free you know anything that you want to you want to plug or, or direct people to well, thank you. I suppose all that's left to say is I've got a podcast called Making Gains. And so we've got my fourth episode now. Had uh, Mark Henry, who's the first one. Biggie was the second one. Uh, a Strong Man, Brain, if you like, was the third one. And The World's Strongest Woman, Donna Moore, was the fourth one. So it's called Making Gains. And um, if you like, it's all about the pursuit of excellence. Where I'm sat now behind me, the neon sign that says Pursuit of Excellence. And that's what it's all about. It's all about people on that journey from snooker to wrestling to track and field athletes to strong men to everyone in between. So if you fancy listening to that give it a look up i would certainly be looking that up in the next couple of days as well especially to hear what mark henry's got to say he's uh in my opinion one of the most he he achieved a lot to begin with he was very underrated i think he was thrown in at a bit of a deep end so i think his story will be will be one to hear for sure what i will say about mark henry is i i guarantee you I guarantee this if you listen to it by the end of the chat so there's a big question about how strong was he? Mm -hmm. So he was, he was the self-titled or 
title by the company, World's Strongest Man. He never won the World's Strongest Man competition. Mm. So big question, does he merit that mantle? I guarantee by the end of the chat, you will have decided, rightly yeah. or wrongly, for or against, you will have decided. It was one of my favorite ever interviews that I've ever had the privilege of doing. It was awesome. Cool. No better endorsement and no better reason to go and listen to it. So listen, Razzy, thank you so, so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, good luck with everything you've got coming up. Um, you know, seeing big things for you, especially with NXT. Thankfully, when the crowds can get back out there and everything go back to normal as well. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Mate, my absolute pleasure, buddy. Stay safe and I keep doing what you do. Thank you, mate. And you. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.